November 28th, 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 22. But there were also false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach their destructive heresies about God, and even turn against their master who bought them. Theirs will be a swift and terrible end. Many will follow their evil teaching and shameful immorality, and because of them Christ and His true way will be slandered. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago, and their destruction is on the way. For God did not spare even the angels when they sinned. He threw them into hell in gloomy caves and darkness until the judgment day. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and his family of seven. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. Then God destroyed the whole world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, He turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into heaps of ashes and swept them off the face of the earth. He made them an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But at the same time, God rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a good man who was sick of all the immorality and wickedness around him. Yes, he was a righteous man who was distressed by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while punishing the wicked right up until the day of judgment. He is especially hard on those who follow their own evil, lustful desires and who despise authority. These people are proud and arrogant, daring even to scoff at the glorious ones without so much as trembling. But the angels, even though they are far greater in power and strength than these false teachers, never speak out disrespectfully against the glorious ones. These false teachers are like unthinking animals, creatures of instinct, who are born to be caught and killed. They laugh at the terrifying powers they know so little about, and they will be destroyed along with them. Their destruction is their reward. For the harm they have done. They love to indulge in evil pleasures in broad daylight. They are a disgrace and a stain among you. They revel in deceitfulness while they feast with you. They commit adultery with their eyes, and their lust is never satisfied. They make a game of luring unstable people into sin. They train themselves to be greedy. They are doomed and cursed. They have wandered off the right road and followed the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. These people are as useless as dried-up springs of water or as clouds blown away by the wind, promising much and delivering nothing. They are doomed the blackest darkness. They brag about themselves with empty foolish boasting, with lustful desire as their bait. They lure back into sin those who have just escaped from such wicked living. They promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves to sin and corruption. 
or you are a slave to whatever controls you. And when people escape from the wicked ways of the world, by learning about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up with sin and become its slave again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the right way to live than to know it and then reject the holy commandments that were given to them. They make these proverbs come true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a washed pig returns to the mud. And what I think you and I need to understand is sin is not just the breaking of an abstract law, it is the violation of a person, the person of God. And unless we understand that, we will never see it in its personal relationship to God himself. So that when God gives the law, it is not as though he's looking to see who's going to be good in relation to the law and who's going to be bad in relation to the law, but who is going to recognize God for who he is and who isn't. And the lust of the flesh is the plundering, really, of that which is sacred and rendering it commonplace. And the principle of the lust of the flesh is basically the violation of God's law, mandated for the body, as it were. And so principally, I say to you, the lust of the flesh is the violation of the person of God. The lust of the eyes is greed. It basically takes that which is material and defines it as essentially spiritual. I was having breakfast with a fine businessman this morning and I remember what he was saying as a brand new Christian. I found it very intriguing the way he said it. He said, I've lived for, with guilt for a lot of time because somehow we are made to feel guilty because we make money. And he says, only now I'm beginning to understand how that money can be used for the honor and glory of God. And I think that's a tremendous perception. I do not believe any man needs to feel guilty about making money or possessing money. But we need to feel guilty if we are possessed by it and if that makes us. There's nothing wrong with the boat and the water. The problem begins when the water gets into the boat. It was all right so long as Lot's wife lived in Sodom. The problem began when Sodom began to live in her. And materialism is basically this, which says pursue, pursue, pursue greed for all you are worth and make material gains your ultimate pursuit. Before I became a preacher, I was the banqueting manager of a hotel in the city of Toronto. And every night I would see the lavish expenditure of money and celebration and food. 99 out of 100 times you'd never see anybody bow his head there and thank God for that food. It was almost a kind of a self-acclaimed recognition that I brought this by my own hands. And when you're locked into the business world, that immense pressure closes in. Make it big, make it big, make it big. Pursue, pursue, pursue till you climb up that ladder ultimately and become the all-powerful individual. God's says that is easier for the for a camel to go through the eye of a needle for a rich man not because the man is a possessor of riches but because in many instances it is hard to possess them and not be possessed by it but thanks be to God when the disciples looked at him and said Jesus if that is true then who can enter into the kingdom of God and Jesus said with man it's impossible but with God it isn't he is even able to take the wealthy and get them to realize that this is a blessing let me not make it a curse. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and lastly, the pride of life. The pride of life which basically says, I am so self-sufficient 
that I really do not need God. I am so self-sufficient, I really do not need God. I think there's one illustration that captures all of these three. It's a painting in Rochester, New York, of a man riding on a horse, holding on to the reins of the horse with one hand, reaching out for a jeweled crown with the other. And he's not able to grab the crown. It is eluding him, even though the horse is riding as hard as he can ride it. Underneath the hooves of the horse, he's trampling underfoot men, women, and children. But he cannot hear their screams because his eye is on that crown. And ladies and gentlemen, sin basically means to get your eyes off God, to get your eyes on the pursuit of merely earthly existence and where you become the center of all that is and man becomes the point of reference for you rather than God.